All right. Well, welcome, welcome with Speak Up with Anthony Scaramucci. Welcome to Speak Up with Anthony Scaramucci. I have an amazing guest and a dear friend today. Uh, but I just want to remind everybody, you can call into this show. It's 928-THE-MOOCH. So it's 928-436-6624. Uh, and I want to welcome Heatha Herzog. Uh, I think the first time I met Heatha was on a Fox Business uh, panel. I think we were on Maria Bartiromo's show together. It's probably five right. six years ago, uh, right after I got fired from the White House, I think, if I remember correctly. And uh, you are an author. You wrote Black Market Billions about retail threat, theft in our society. You've worked for U.S. News. You've worked for Forbes. And you now have a fantastic company called H Squared Research, uh, where you're dedicated to all things retail. So welcome to the show. What did I miss, Etha? Oh, man, you nailed it. And I think we actually met prior to you being at the White House. I think oh, we actually met on Charles Payne's show in 2015. 2015. We were just on Charles Payne's show when we were doing Making Money. And we all became good friends from that experience. Um, well, he's, a, he's a great guy, by the way. I haven't seen him yeah. in a while. So yes. and Neil Cavuto are two great guys, but you are also a very special person. So give us an update. What are you working on? on tell us about H Squared Research. Well, my research company really focuses in on retail research, but it's white label research for registered investment advisors. So a lot of investment advisors may have, you know, assets under management of under 500 million. And shockingly, they don't have marketing departments to get that research out. So they call me to do white label and bespoke research for them. And in addition to that, I'm a senior fellow at a think tank called Data Catalyst Institute out of Washington. And we do a lot of research on small business, uh, both urban small businesses and rural small businesses. And we just came out with a uh, study, actually, we came out with about a year ago um, called Super Sellers. And uh, that's where it, that, in addition to my company and then being on air and then being a mom of twins, it's just a lot. Someone wanted me to write the sequel to Black Market Billions. And I said, with what time? What, where? Please find me some time to go ahead and write a book. I don't have a ghostwriter, it's me. Like, are there more hours in the day than I'm going to go ahead and write a book? I don't know. Well, I mean, this is the reason why I wanted to have you on because you're doing a lot of different things. And so you have this sort of bandwidth of experience. Let's start with small businesses in America. Mm -hmm. So I'm a Wall Streeter. So Wall Streeters invariably get everything wrong. We say the market's going higher when it's about to crash. We say the market is going through the floor when then it booms. Uh, I thought the economy was going to be way slower than it currently is got it wrong. I thought the Fed was going to end the rate cycle raises last you know, quarter, got it wrong. Uh, so tell me what's going on in small businesses and tell me why the economy is so resilient. I think there's a couple things that are going on, Anthony. And I think one thing that we're not really talking about enough is how much money people are putting on their credit cards. And I know this is very simple, but if you do a comparable of the earnings to major banks like Wells Fargo and Citi and you know JP Morgan Chase if you look back at what the CFOs were saying on the earnings calls they were saying that a lot of the consumer you know the balances that people are holding on their credit cards is increasing and it's really kind of a big portion of what was driving their revenues for those quarterly earnings so if you think about that and you think about 
well, you know, no one had anticipated the economy to be, you know, moving at the pace that it was moving at. Were we really just looking at what people were putting on the credit cards as well? Because access to credit is not like what it was 10 years ago, even five years ago, credit markets are really easier. I don't want to say easy, but it's easier to access or increase your credit uh, lines of credit. And I think there's a lot of FOMO spending that's going on. You know, with that said- Is this a sugar high then? I mean, so, you know, and yeah, social media drives a lot. Yeah. Sugar high. So, so we end up with uh, lots of credit card debt over the next 24 months. And then people panicked in terms of being able to pay for that. Or do you think that their wages will keep track and they'll be able to manage the credit card debt? Well, we saw the labor numbers, right? And it was saying that actually wages are increasing. So if that trajectory continues, then maybe, you know, I want to be hopeful and I want to say come January, February, when everyone gets their credit card statements, people are going to be able to um, hopefully feel better to pay those balances off in full. What ends up getting really um, suspect is when the Federal Reserve, you know, the, the Fed increases the interest rate or the rate goes up, right? That has an impact on the consumer and credit card rates. And then uh, people aren't able to pay back those balances in full and people are carrying those balances. So I saw a statistic that basically said that people are still paying off their balances from last Christmas. That's not good. That's right. really, really not good. And I think if so if we if that continues if that's a trend that continues and again i want to be hopeful i i try to be poly positive on all these things i want to say oh yes people are going to feel better they're going to be able to pay off their 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 credit cards in full job market is looking better labor market's looking better especially in healthcare. um you know that's beefing up uh that people are going to just pay those off but i you know i think the the you know the the realist in me thinks that's actually not going to happen and you're going to see those balances carried over well, I mean, it's a vicious cycle for somebody who's a consumer because, you know, you may need something. We also know that the savings rate isn't where we want it to be. And so sometimes people, frankly, put credit card debt on for emergencies or necessities and uh, they get caught behind the eight ball because the rates are ridiculously high. And and uh, they start out with minimum payments or slightly more than minimum payments. And before you know, they're they're sitting there with bone crushing debt. So um you you are poly positive. I love that word, but I'm <laughs> likely to steal that from you at some point. Take it, please. Uh, but, but when you say you're poly positive, um, what would you be worried about? Not to be poly negative, but what would you be worried about uh, for the consumer, for the economy, for the stock market? Yeah, so negative Nelly's going to come out now. So what I'm nervous about is that fact that people, to your point, you know, in the past, people would just use their credit cards to emergency spend, right? Oh my gosh, I broke my leg. I don't have insurance. I got to put up my credit card or someone lost a tooth or God forbid someone got into an accident, right? What people are doing now, Anthony, is FOMO spending, right? Fear of missing out. So what we're seeing from the consumer side, and then we're going to talk about small business in a second, because that's actually a very interesting poly positive story, right? Um, the consumer is not necessarily spending on clothing and items, but they're they're spending on, on experiences. And of course they're gonna do this. All of my Instagram feed are people in, you know, Santorini all summer long in Greece. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here with the kids like worrying about how I'm gonna pay for summer camp in New York City. Like, oh my gosh, it's so expensive here, right? So of course you are feeling that FOMO and people, you know, 
access to credit. They put it on their credit cards. Holidays are coming up. People are still kind of feeling the ripple effect of not being able to spend so much during the pandemic or being fearful of spending. So they're just FOMO spending on those cards. It's all about mass consumption. That's all we heard during Black Friday. Spend more on the e-commerce sites. Uh, you know, ads are coming at you. So that's what makes me nervous is that FOMO spend. Do people really understand that they're not probably going to have to, they're not going to be able to pay that back unless their wages increase to a specific point and their savings rate gets higher. And those two things aren't happening at the pace that I would like it to, 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 to go at for those balances to be, be paid off in full. And people- so to what's actionable? Up. What's actionable for investors then, Ethan? Well, a couple things. I think investors should definitely start looking at those bank stocks. <laughs> I think we've always said that, right? I think, uh, you know, banks are certainly making their, um, you know, when I, I, it was shocking to me because usually when I do my retail analysis, you know, you look at what people are spending on credit cards and, you know, but I don't really dig so much into the earnings of the banks. And when I started to do that, I really saw the symbiotic relationship of what the banks were earning and then what, you know, obviously how the consumer was doing and then how that was going to impact the retail stocks. So when you, you have to look at those in tandem with each other. And if I think the, you know, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I, you know, I don't want to misspeak here, but I think the forecast is that we're going to continue to see that revenue spike on those credit card balances for those three stocks that I had mentioned, Wells Fargo, Citi and JP Morgan into the next quarter. So from an investment standpoint, I would certainly have that in the back of my mind, especially if you are looking at the retail side. Now, from the retail perspective, I mean, there's one gangbuster stock that continues to go nuts, and that's Shopify. I mean, Anthony, did you see what, what Harley did uh, during Black Friday at the Sphere in Las Vegas? And I don't know, it, 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 I don't know if you follow him on Twitter or if you saw pictures of this. Um, I, I, I didn't see it, but obviously uh, I'm well versed in the Sphere. You know, my kids are dying for me to take out an ad on the Sphere. Yeah. When I looked at the pricing, I almost fell over. You know, okay, I have a hookup for you. We're going to talk 000. offline about this. No, I'm yeah. hooking you up. We're going to talk yeah. offline about this regarding the sphere. But just to give everyone an explanation of what Harley, this is the CEO <laughs> of Shopify, what he did. He took the sphere and then in real time had shop, had Black Friday sales around the world. Literally, the sphere was the world. And if you looked at the sphere, it was like the Santa tracker, like NORAD Santa tracker. All weekend long during Black Friday, you were able to see the numbers of Black Friday from Shopify vendors, how much they were making all weekend long. It was the best marketing, it was so bananas, and it was so telling of how much FOMO spend was going on and how much money Shopify was making, just being the platform for these D2C and e-commerce brands. So I think it's less about, you know, yes, retail is for the most part healthy. I mean, yes, you have these outliers like some of the department stores and the debt that they are carrying and how that's going to get slammed if the if the Fed Fed increases interest rates. But I think we have to dig a little bit deeper. And, you know, Charles Payne was the one that taught me this is to look at things like Shopify, for example, and, uh, you know, companies that are kind of basically creating the ripple effect in retail. 
Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I, I see these companies the way I see the news media and the way I see you and me in Speak Up with Anthony Scaramucci, because you've got the traditional media out there. They're only going to tell you a certain thing and they're only going to dig at a certain depth. And they certainly don't have interaction uh, like we like to have with the people that are viewing us. And so uh, Shopify is sort of like that in my mind. It's sort of this, uh, uh, I don't want to say underground, but it's sort of like a different element to tr traditional shopping, even even different from Amazon. 17 days to go. Okay, the panic light is on in the Scaramucci house. Okay, uh, because let's face <laughs> it, okay, let's face it, we are Santa's helpers, and right now we're not making enough toys here in our little toy factory, so we are panicked. Tell me about the consumer and the vibe of the consumer heading into Christmas. Seventeen days to go. Well, we kind of talked about it. It's that FOMO effect, right? And right. I think that uh, I think the consumer maybe has a false sense. Well, you can of be FOMO and anxious, or you can be FOMO and pumped. You know what I mean? If you're having a great year, people have a tendency to flourish. Exactly. Where do you, where do you think we are? I think for the most part, I think there's FOMO and pumped, but maybe pumped for the wrong reasons. I think they're pumped because okay. they have access to credit and it's making them feel richer than they really are. I don't think they're really thinking about what's going to come January and February when they open up those credit card statements. But with that said, I feel like we're going to see a real significant spike in spending as we get closer to uh, you know, Christmas, we know we're in the midst of Hanukkah right now. So I, I hear you on the uh, panic. I bought all the Hanukkah presents for the, for my girls uh, last week. Thankfully, um, they're all, they're all oh, bought. Happy, there, happy, but... happy Hanukkah, by the way. <laughs> Thank you so but, much. But, but, yeah. you know, but you have a, you have a uh, very smart banks, so, uh, City, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, all reporting what you're saying that the consumers are carrying more debt. Um, and they're smart banks and they have decent underwriting standards here. Uh, how much of a loss factor are they building in? Because they're washing the country with capital. They're extending lots of liquidity to people. Uh, but they know that a group of those people are just never going to be able to pay back what they're extending. So what what are those numbers look like? I mean, if you're basing it based on if you're looking at it based on what happened during the last recession, I think the banks really stumbled because of that exact fact. Uh, I think I would think that for this time around, they're probably baked it into the numbers that there is going to be defaults on those credit cards, um, you know, into the second and third quarter. And I think that's why we were seeing the forecast um, come in as high as they did when they reported out earnings last quarter. Um, with that said, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know to what degree people are going to be defaulting on those credit cards or, you know, unable to pay back or carrying those balances. Again, I don't want to, you know, be so negative, but my gut feeling is that it's going to be a lot larger than what the banks are anticipating. I truly don't think the consumer yeah. realizes how much is at stake, how much they are actually carrying. Um, it's, 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 it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an issue. So you could see, you know, second and third quarter loss reserves for the bank. I mean, this is something obviously that we have to look at more carefully. Um, yeah, and we're not even talking, I mean, you know, Anthony, this is like, if everything stays normal, I mean, you know, we've like, who would have ever predicted in 2020 that a global pandemic would have just gripped the entire, you know, planet earth. And we would have all been at a standstill, you know, not we us. I mean, we, 
Yeah. We, we not only didn't predict it, I'll completely embarrass myself. I walked out of a meeting with two World Economic you know, uh, Health Organization officials, not World Economic, but WHO officials. It was uh, late January of 2020. I told my team, this is completely overblown. This is going to be like SARS in 2003. So we got roasted in March of 2020 for not anticipating the depth of the pandemic. Uh, having said that, I think that we could be on the right side of our guesstimates on inflation. I feel like the inflation numbers are gonna come down faster uh, than the street is anticipating. We'll have to see about that. Um, but from right. an investor perspective, you, we've had Lulu, er, Lulu Lemon's earnings out. We've got Starbucks. I wanna ask you why Starbucks can't seem to get it together. Um, what do you think of McDonald's as an example? They have this new concept called Cosmic, which they mm -hmm. are obviously going head on with Starbucks with that. Let's start with Lululemon. What's your opinion there? I think Lululemon, the new CEO, while I think he looks, I don't know if you've read the New York Times feature on him that came out a couple months ago. He is really like the, you know, if you're going to put down on paper what a typical like, stellar alpha male CEO that goes running at four in the morning, 17 miles before he starts his day. Like he is that guy. And I think that type of energy just isn't necessarily transferring to what Lululemon is you trying make, you, to do. You're making me feel bad because I'm really not that guy, you know. <laughs> he, if you pass me the donut, pass me the cannolis and donuts, please. Um, I read that article and I was like, I'm so excited because I'm a runner. I'm like, I'm so excited that his wife is letting him go and run 17 miles before he starts his day. I wish my husband would let me do that, but that's just not going to happen. Um, so, so I think the, the specifically there was a real focus on menswear in Lululemon and really, you know, they had that acquisition of mirror. Um, I think they really wanted to create you know, a lifestyle around Lululemon, but the core of that business is women's yoga pants, um, you know, young yeah. teenage, you know, teenagers, you know, kids in middle school want those yoga pants. And I think they are failing to identify that that is their core audience and they aren't right. specifically marketing towards that. Um, yeah. you know, everyone knows the men's yoga pants are great. You know, I don't think he needs to just hit that over the head so hard, but, yeah. um, I think they're losing who their core customer is and they're not marketing sufficiently to that. Okay. And it, just a quick couple thoughts on Starbucks and uh, McDonald's. Yeah. Anthony, when was the last time you were in a Starbucks? I'm a Starbucks addict, so don't go by me. I, oh. I, 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 you know, what I do is I got the mobile app on my way into the city. I get myself a nice coffee. Maybe you're the outlier because I yeah. never go into Starbucks. I think right. it's the worst customer experience ever. They still it can't is. get my name right. The only time a Starbucks gets but my name right is when I'm actually in India. My God, the pastries are terrible. The eggs that they put in the, you know, the microwave taste like plastic. I mean, you know, the exactly. coffee's okay. If you travel to Europe, you know the coffee's absolutely terrible. But compared to other terrible coffee in America, the coffee is okay. But but the that was a hot store 20 years ago. It's no longer hot. It's not fresh. It was, it's not only, and, and I think also they lost kind of what you go to Starbucks for. I mean, mm -hmm. I live on the Upper West Side, the Starbucks here. We, my husband and I were talking about it. It's really synonymous of with holidays and gathering. I don't know why the Starbucks kills it every holiday season. We walk by there, no one's in there. It just, right. I think mm 
there was a lot of, you know, between the labor issues, you know, they brought in Howard Schultz to try to like quell what's going on there. But I think in this, in this, you know, like transition and trying to figure out what was going on there, again, they also lost what the core um, appeal of Starbucks is. Yes, you know, they have fancy drinks and it's very cool, but on the marketing side, it's no longer, do you remember back in 2020 or no, excuse me, 20, 2002, you would see Mary Kay and Ashley Olsen walk around with their Starbucks mugs. And it was, you know, kind of US, you know, us, US news, not US news and world report, but us weekly fodder, right? Um, the marketing aspect of Starbucks, it's no longer, you know, no one really wants to go there anymore. And it's so easy just to get good coffee everywhere else. Um, you know, and, and, and honestly, you know, from a market share standpoint, that is why, you know, this cosmic that's coming out of, 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 of McDonald's, McDonald's is recognizing that here is, you know, white space in market share. They are realizing yeah. that this is the ability to kind of take that. Um, I see we're getting some, I see we're sitting, are we getting some questions or? Oh. Yeah, we're, we're going to get some questions here in a yeah. second. We're going to, uh, we're going to switch over to what I call Mooch University. I love this. And, and uh, our topic uh, today is about debt. And so just as we were talking about debt, I'm going to give my two cents on debt. And if you're cool that, I'd love to have you chime in. Uh, but what I what I tell our viewers and listeners is that there's two types of debt to me. Uh, one is a good form of debt, and that is debt that's coupled with investment. As an example, if you're going to buy a house and I'm taking on a 30-year mortgage and I know that I have enough income to pay for that mortgage and I can defease the, uh, the principal of that mortgage down over time and build equity for myself, I would much rather see people do that than get into a rental habit where they're in a nice rental, but they're not building any equity for themselves. And so that's a good form of debt. A bad form of debt, unfortunately, is sort of the stuff that we're talking about where uh, you're taking on debt, you've got a 15 to 25% credit card rate, depending on where you live and, and depending on what the banks can get away with. And that is sort of that sugar high, sugar rush debt. And uh, I think you know this about me, most people do. I started with absolutely nothing. Uh, one of the big debts that I took on, which I would say was good debt, it's more controversial today, is student debt. And so I had to borrow money to go to undergrad. I borrowed money to go to law school. Uh, but again, that was good debt because it was capital investing debt. And so when we when we talk about uh, debt in our society, I just want people to think, uh, not to be scared, there's good debt, uh, and then there's that sort of sugar high bad debt. Um, what are your thoughts there? Ethan, before I, I switch over to taking on questions. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think also, I think the individual needs to assess what, and be honest with themselves, what the good debt looks like for them and if they are, can actually take that on. And so it doesn't turn into bad debt. I think the problem, especially with student loans, is that you know, young people don't really, maybe they don't have the maturity. I certainly didn't uh, when I took on a student loan and realized that, you know, 15 years later, I'm paying back my grad school loan for journalism. No offense to media. Love you all out there. Um, but, you know, if you want to pay off a, you know, I had a $35,000 loan. It took me forever to pay that off. And it just, you know, I think people need to be honest with themselves so that that good debt doesn't turn into a monstrous debt that they are suddenly getting into this like hyper loop of like, I'm paying off interest now at this point. 
you know, I had a really cool graphic that we were going to run before we started this conversation. You guys want to run the graphic for me? Is that cool? I know it's a little bit of a... About the graphic is just like a magnet pulling into the mooch, you know, the mooch you. Anyway, it's a little horrifying, but my children are getting mooch you t-shirts and sweatshirts for Christmas. Okay, that's just... They don't know that, but uh, I know that. And of course, I probably will force them to wear it, you know, some type of indentured servitude. All right, let's go to questions. And uh, it is wonderful to see you, by the way. And congratulations on your beautiful family. Thank you so much. It's, it's always fun seeing you too. This is, this is awesome. I love this. Okay, let's go to the why won't the low employment rate and aggressive Fed action keep the next recession relatively mild? Okay, this is from... Houston from Arizona via email. Uh, Heather, you want to you take a, a run at that first? Why won't the low in unemployment rate and, and aggressive, aggressive Fed action keep the next recession relatively mild? Why won't it? Um, it might, I mean, right? I mean, I guess. I mean, I, you know, I, I hate to keep going back to this, like these, the, you know, credit and, and debt, but I think it comes down to debt. I think that is what, you know, if if the Fed continues to increase the interest rate, it won't. I mean, you have to have that sort of I hate this term, but that perfect sort of storm. It's not even a storm, but this perfect sort of balance of wages getting higher mm -hmm. and people being able to pay off those balances. Completely. Yeah. And, and, and eventually the Fed getting ahead of the curve. I think I think exactly. I think that's the big issue. And so I think I would say that could happen. I mean, and this is the thing about investing and this gets everybody upset. And this is why every FA is a victim well, when bad things are going on because people want to blame somebody. Right. A lot of it is really situational, but there is a Venn diagram of things that can happen, Houston. And one of those things is the low unemployment number and perfect mama bear fed action keeps our, our next recession very mild. And that would be a miracle. It'd be a home run. That's one quadrant. There's probably a 30, 35 percent chance that can happen. Uh, but what typically does happen is the thing we have to be worried about is once a recession starts, it gets way worse way quickly. And I'll just give a very quick example. In July of 2007, uh, uh, Mr. Bernanke, Chairman Bernanke, Federal Reserve Chairman, said, hey, this subprime problem is about a $90 billion problem. It's a very small problem on a relative basis. And so if necessary, we'll ring fence and contain it. But they didn't move quickly enough. And it snowballed into a six trillion dollar problem because once everybody freezes their consumption, right. it sort of causes this trap door in the economy. But I certainly hope that Houston is right. Uh, and I've got that on the table as one of the potential outcomes. We have a caller, uh, Janet, coming in from Texas. Janet, welcome to speak up. Hello. Hey, can you hear us, Janet? What's your question? Yes. Um, what, I'm, I, what I'm wondering is I'm, I'm online all the time. Well, I'm, I'm 71, but I'm, I love information, and I just wish we'd had the Internet when I was uh, as young as you people. But uh, it, 
it really it really makes a person wonder when you see the Fed says one thing, and of course we know that we know our our credit card debt is up, the national debt is up. Um, I, if you want to polish your crystal ball here a minute, what do y'all want to go out on a limb and say when when you think there's going to be something like a depression or do you think there's going to be or are we going to continue i mean the the jobs the people that i know well of course i'm in austin it's a giant software capital and a, a lot of my younger friends they tend to be uh, software engineers and uh, buying real estate with their money and stuff like that and i have to tell you they're <laughs> they're, they're raising chickens they're they're uh, gardening in their backyard um they're kind of they're going retro in a lot of ways and and really not buying Teslas, not going to Starbucks every day and and things like that. So I, I'm seeing a real dichotomy between what you see in the you know what you see in the news um, that some of the mainstream news wants to say, well, we have plenty of jobs. And then other people uh, look at a lot of youtubers are pointing out, um yes, but if you have, the people who have given up or haven't recently applied uh, for unemployment aren't counted anymore. And a lot of people are underemployed. And a lot of people, if they have two jobs, apparently they count them uh, twice. So it's kind of an uh, Orwellian uh, financial uh, picture that we have right now. Uh, what, what do you all think is, is the thing to, uh, to believe? And, of course, you have the gold bugs and all that, but who can afford mm -hmm. Well, I, think, I think the general question is about though the, that, that trap door falling out and whether or not there's a, a potentiality for a depression. So I'll start and I'll ask Ethan to jump in as well. Uh, I, I never want to rule out a catastrophe. Certainly um, thing, bad things can happen. You get a combination of a debt spiral and a war or a combination of those things. Uh, but what typically has happened is there's a general resiliency in the American economy. And we usually get ourselves bailed out by great technology. Things happen that improve our productivity. They lower costs. You know, we were buying flat screen TVs 15 or 20 years ago for six or $7,000. We're buying that TV and it's a way better TV for $600. Um, Heatha, what would you say to Janet? I think, uh, I yeah. Thank you for your thank you for your your common sense and your and and your uh, your optimism. I think in this country, you know, we went through 1918. We went through the 40s, and and uh, I was uh, born in 52, and my mother at that time was 41. So she's uh, she grew up on a farm in Minnesota, and uh, men would come by. You know, uh, that's where that term tramp. You know, they become tramping on the road and. And they'd load them up with food and keep them going until they got to the next town to try and find work. And I, I think Americans are so resilient. When I look at my own ancestors and, and uh, things I'm doing now, I'm living, well, I'm a disabled uh, veteran. I'm living on that. But uh, if you cook at home, like uh, instead of going to Starbucks, I get some um, Hershey's uh, natural cocoa and I mix it with cane sugar and, and molasses and make my own brown sugar. And then you mix the Coke and the brown sugar, you put a little water in, you cook it, and you get the world's best mocha syrup. It's it's very rich, it's delicious. I wanted to chime in here, Janet. 
I want to chime in here and just say, I love the fact that you think Anthony and I are young people. That makes me so happy. I mean, Anthony is definitely a young person. No, I'm turning turning 60, so I don't think anybody thinks I'm young anymore. I don't think anyone Um, thinks I'm young either. Thank you. Thank you, Janet. Any other callers on the line asking my producer, Mike? If there are no other callers, uh, the, the, the don't be shy or bashful. It's 92 the mooch, 928 436 6624. But before we wrap, Heath, uh, what are you doing for Christmas? Tell me your plans Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's. What's your holiday uh, game plan? Well, we always do the same thing, which is uh, we're here in, we usually go to New Mexico where I'm from. My mom lives there, but we're going to stay here in the city. Our friends have a Christmas Eve party. Um, And then we go to Philadelphia after Christmas. I know it sounds silly. I don't have family in Philadelphia. Seth does not have family in Philadelphia. He's from Princeton, but we go and have a three-day vacation at this in beautiful hotel that exists there. And, uh, you know, we save all of our money and then we go and take the girls there because there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a pool 59 stories up in the sky that the kids like to like to swim in. Yeah. I love the idea. I love the creativity. I think we have one more caller and then obviously we'll wrap the show for this week. Uh, anybody else calling in? You didn't tell me what you were doing, but maybe we could talk about it after the whole so I, I go skiing, and so I'm going to be up in uh, Wyndham. I uh, I, uh, I uh, have a small place up there and take the kids. Uh, we've got Andrew on from Massachusetts. Andrew. Hey, Anthony. Um, first of all, I, I love your show uh, and your perspective on the world. I think it's great. It's forthright, and, uh, and, uh, and that's great to see in today's media world. Uh, the question I have is how do you how do you reconcile the apparent dichotomy or difference between consumer sentiment and I have to say polls are not necessarily reliable, but where consumers are kind of negative on the world um, or, or or politically negative. Actually, this gets into politics. Actually, and I mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to go there, but how, how do you explain the difference between people's view of you know how terrible everything is with the fact that our GDP is at a record rate. Our infl- inflation is down from nine to three percent. Uh, employment is well, real; wages are increasing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. How do you explain that difference? Heath, uh, you want to take a shot first, or you want me to go? Of course. Go first. Yeah. Consumer sentiment, you're absolutely right. It doesn't, sometimes the numbers don't make sense. You know, you have this high consumer sentiment or consumer sentiment is, is, you know, increasing yet the economy, the numbers are kind of showing that, you know, nothing is really, you know, feeling good or looking good or the outlook doesn't look good. And I think it just, again, I think this is the theme that's been running through this entire episode, but um, it's that false sense of everything is okay because of access to credit. And um, it kind of comes back to that always. Uh, When you, when consumers feel like wages are increasing, unemployment is coming down, but then they have this access to credit um, that makes them feel a little bit better despite what the macro numbers are saying. Yeah, I guess that's that's my point. Is apparently the the polls, at least the political polls, have many people, you know, not too happy about the president's uh, performance when 
the statistics, if you just look at cold statistics in terms of employment or economic growth, uh, they're pretty astonishing. Uh, I mean, and we came out of this disastrous period in early 2020 uh, pretty well, actually. So I, yeah. I'm just trying to understand, you know, why yeah, yeah, gas prices I, are also I, I, like, you know. I just I just watch things. All right. And mm-hmm. what I see is I see a lot of people. I see restaurants filled. I see parking mm-hmm. lots filled. I, and that's despite the fact that I don't even do any shopping in stores anymore. It's just on Amazon. Yeah, but, um, you know, it looks to me like things are pretty vibrant. Yeah. Like and gas been, prices are down at two ninety seven out here on Long Island. So I, 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 I hear you on that as well, Andrew. I guess what I'll just say quickly, because unfortunately we have to wrap the show, is that uh, uh, there's time before the election. And I think as the litigation of that election takes place, whoever the eventual nominees are, it looks like it could be President, uh, the two presidents, President Biden and President Trump. I think there'll be a litigation of this economic data. And, uh, you know, it'll probably be favorable for the Democrats if this data keeps up and we don't slip into a recession in 2024. And by the way, the odds of us slipping into a recession during a presidential year are low. And you guys may know this, but it's worth repeating. The stock market goes up 83% of the time during a presidential year. So it's just something to think about. I'm sorry that we have to go, but I really appreciate you calling in, Andrew. My friend, Heatha, I hope to see you soon. Uh, I'm not going to see you in Philadelphia in that 50-story swimming pool. Uh, but please tell Seth I say hi. Congratulations on everything. And uh, guys, thank you again for uh, joining us on Speak Up with Anthony Scaramucci. uh, And we'll be back to you guys next week. Same time, same bat channel. 